Hello, everybody. It's me, Auntie, and thank you for joining me for the continuation of The Jumbies by Tracy Baptiste. Chapter 28, Separate Ways. The four left the swamp and made their way along the coast, away from the witch's shack. The river had mercifully washed most of the swamp's stench from their clothes and hair, and the sun was beginning to dry them off. None of them spoke. Corinne noticed that Drew hung back a little from the group. She stopped suddenly and turned around to face Drew. What are you doing? Corinne asked. Nothing, Drew said softly. Why aren't you walking with the rest of us? I'm walking, not with us. I'm right behind you, Drew protested. She pulled a long lock of hair to the front and began to play with it. Buki and Malik turned to look at the girls. Malik nudged his brother and Buki rolled his eyes to the sky. Corinne asked, are you trying to keep an eye on me? Do you think I'm going to work some kind of magic on you? No, Drew said, though she didn't sound too sure. You think I'm just like Severine or the Duins? You took your friend away. Who took your friend away? You're afraid of me now, aren't you? I'm not scared, Drew said. You're scared of everything, Corinne said. I'm not, Drew insisted, but her lip began to quiver, so she bit down on it. I came with you to see the witch, didn't I? You stayed the, clo the closest to the door the entire time, and as soon as the witch said that I, when she said what I was, you wanted to get away from me. Well, now you're, now's your chance. Go. I don't need you. Crin's eyes began to sting with tears, so she blinked them back and stared Drew down while she waited to see what her friend would do. Drew looked from Corinne to the brothers and then back to Corinne again. She clenched her fists. Everything is happening because of you. You are the one who want who she wants, not us. You don't know what you're talking about, Drew, Corinne said. I wish we had never met. I wish I had never even laid eyes on you. Drew ran through the waves toward her village. Her long hair blew behind her. You pushed her away, Buki said to Corinne. Why did you have to go and do that? Corinne took one look at Malik's sad face as he watched Drew run off, and she slumped over with her hands balled into a fist on her knees. The tears that she had tried to hold back flowed down her face. You can go too, Corinne said. I would get away from this mess if I could. That's exactly why we are staying, Buki said. You can't do everything yourself. I don't have a choice. My papa can't take care of me anymore. I have to take care of him. There's no one else to do it. No, there's one less, Buki said. You had three of us. Now you have two. You see what happened to my papa? You heard what the witch said. The people around me, the ones who try to protect me, they always get hurt. Even the witch. Who knows what will happen next? Don't you see? I have to work alone. Malik shook his head. What would you like me to tell her, brother? Buki said, sounding exasperated. She wants to go it alone. It's not like I can force her to let us help. It's better this way, Malik, Krin said. You'll be safe. Malik shook his head again and stared at her with determination. Buki tried to ignore him. So what are you going to be to what are you going to be able to do by yourself then? he asked. 
Corinne pulled herself up and took a deep breath. I'm going to do exactly what I should have done in the first place. I'm going to climb the cliff and get my mama's necklace back. And then what? You should have seen the look on Severine's face when she touched that stone and it burned her hand. There's something about it. I'm going to figure it out. What if that doesn't work? Better to fight it out like we did last night. It's the only way. It isn't, Buki. I know the stone will help. I can just feel it inside me. Like the witch said, when I had the necklace, I felt strong. I don't anymore. And why would Severine take it away if it wasn't important? It's the last night and my last chance. So it's time for a real plan. Severine knows exactly what she's doing. By dark tonight, we need to know exactly what we're going doing, doing to. And my mama's necklace is step one. She gave the boys a firm nod. Malik clapped her back in agreement. Corinne gazed out at the water. I will need to row out to the cliff. But that fisherman, Victor, he will always try to stop me if he sees me. The others might too. Corinne looked at Buki and Malik. What's that look? Buki asked. What do you want us to do about the whole village full of fishermen? Malik nudged his brother. All right, we can distract the fishermen, Buki said. We will find a way. Excitement tingled on Corinne's skin from her toes all the way up to her scalp. Now that they had a plan, but the weight of the events of the day felt heavy inside her. She could not imagine going it alone. Tears burned in her eyes again. Thank you, she said. Buki patted her on the shoulder. It would help more if there was three of us. He looked down the coast. Drew was long gone. Corinne's jaw tightened. She wanted to go, she said, but her eyes flicked down the coast too. Anyway, she has a whole family who will be sorry if something happens to her. Yet another advantage of being on your own, Buki replied. Each syllable of on your own pricked at Corinne's heart, but she had no con concentrate on what needed to be done. So how are you going to distract the fisherman? Malik pointed to his feet, then made a low peak over his head with his hands. Buki smiled and nodded. Don't worry, we have an idea. Chapter 29, Disguised. While everyone in the village was still cleaning up from the night before, Buki went over to a clothesline behind a house and pulled off a pair of long men's pants. Then he and Malik crossed through some fields to the other side of the island and into their cave. Buki whittled dry coconut husk into sandals with back, backward feet. Malik put on the long pants with the sandals on too. He looked just like a doin. One last thing, Buki said. He took some dried coconut leaves and wove them into a round hat with a point in the middle of in the middle for his brother to wear. It was deep enough to cover down to his chin. Malik walked around with his arm in front of him and whined. You don't need to see anything, Buki explained. I'll be dragging you the whole time. He cut open two fresh coconuts that they had picked up at the beach earlier in the day. He gave one to his brother and they drank the sweet coconut water and ate the white jelly in silence. It's time to go, Buki said when they had finished. 
Malik's stomach growled. Nothing else tonight, brother. This is war. There's no time to eat during war. Malik whimpered. Tomorrow, those things will be gone, and Corinne's father will bring us the biggest fish in his catch. It will be so big it will fill us up for three days. Malik held his stomach and moaned. Would you rather have nothing in your belly for one day or be the thing in Jumbie's belly? Malik dropped his hands to his side and puffed out his chest. All right then, brother, let's go. Chapter 30, The Seed Corinne needed to give the brothers time to get ready. She went to her house hoping to find that something had changed and there was some way to get in and save her father. The vines seemed even more tightly wrapped around the house so that it was impossible to see anything past them. She circled, looking for some chink that le led inside, but there was no visible opening. And as she moved, the vines shifted as if they were watching her. Corinne left reluctantly and made her way toward the sea. The sky burned orange, her mama's favorite time of day. And for a moment, she remembered her mama's smiling face, and a flicker of happiness lit up inside of her. She wanted to get started. Where were those boys? They needed to hurry. She found a thick grove of coconut trees and hid among them. The, ride was, the tide was in, and the waves pushed foamy brine around her, tugging at her hands and feet, trying in vain to pull her into the sea. She felt the last rays of the sun on her skin and the cool water as it lapped her body. A song her mama used to sing drifted into her mind. Le sarine, la baleine, mon chapeau tapé à la mer. Le sarine, la baleine, mon chapeau tombé à la mer. But Corinne knew that there was no mermaid or whale that would come to help her as they did in her mama's song. If the plan was to work, it was mostly up to her alone. Corinne shoved her hands into her pockets, hoping she had put some fruit in there, but all she came up with was the witch's seed. Only now, instead of just two halves of a seed, there was a little green shoot sprouting from one side and a spider web, thin root, shooting out of the other. Corinne held up her palm to get a better look. She frowned at the little plant that had suddenly appeared. Then she snorted in disgust. The witch's magic was strong enough to make this broken seed grow, but she had still refused to help Corinne fight. Severine and the other jumbies, Corinne tossed the plant into the surf. A wave brought it back to her. Papa was right. The sea doesn't keep anything. With the sound of her voice, the plant grew a little more. Before Corinne could take a closer look, another wave pulled the tiny plant back out to sea. Chapter 31. The Boy's Plan Malik stumbled behind Buki in his Doan costume. Buki parted the bushes and helped his brother through so no one would see them before they had a chance to create their distraction. The scent of freshly baked loaves was strong as they passed the bakery. Malik paused, but Buki shuffled him along. He led Malik 
passed the nearly empty market and edged the road toward a small patch of trees near the dry well. Across from the mahogany forest, they needed to get close enough to the fishing village so everyone would hear them scream, but far enough to get them all away and give Corinne her chance. Someone small appeared on the bend and walked toward them. When Buki stepped out to greet her, Drew jumped back with surprise. What are you doing here? he asked. I was looking for you. No, you're looking for Corinne, Buki corrected. She isn't with us. She's going to climb the cliff to get her mother's necklace. You let her go? Drew asked. No one can climb that cliff. Her hair had been rebraided, and now she unbraided and rebraided the ends of it again. Buki shrugged. Who could stop her? Wear her distraction so the fisherman won't get in her way. He waved to Malik, who stepped out from behind the tree. Drew gasped. How did you do this? My ingenuity, Buki said proudly. Malik kicked him. Ow! Well, okay, it was a joint effort. He rubbed his shin. We're going to pretend that I captured my brother back from the doings. Everyone from the village will come running. That will give her some time to push out to sea. But there are jumpies in the forest, Drew said. What about them? If she makes it to the top of the cliff, won't they come out of the forest to get her? She bit her lip. What else can we do? There are only two of us. I'll do it. I'll make sure nothing will be looking toward the cliff. No one will see her. Alone? How? I th I'll think of something. She needs my help, Drew said. Even though she's part jumbie, Buki asked. What would your mother say? Drew said nothing. She only unbraided and rebraided her hair. She'll be killed climbing the cliff, said Buki. And you'll be killed going into the forest alone. And we'll be kidnapped by the doings and never be seen again. This is an excellent plan. At least we would have tried, Drew said. Buki smiled with approval and looked at Drew as if he had just seen her for the first time and liked what he saw. Well, we better get to it then. The sun is nearly gone. The half-jumbie will need her distraction soon, Buki said. Malik sighed. The smell of warm bread drifted to them on the wind. Buki was sorry that he would never steal from the baker again. And he shuddered to think of what doings ate for dinner. Chapter 32 Leaving As soon as Drew came back home, her mother ushered her to the bedroom for safety. Drew stood alone in the middle of the sleep mats and blankets as her family moved in the front room, boarding up the windows and doors. It would be dark soon, and the jumbies would return. The hair on Drew's arms stood out. Her fingers felt cold and numb, but she knew she wasn't just going to stand there while everyone, even her friends, fought. While the rest of her family secured the front room, Drew changed into one of her brother's shirts and pants. She grabbed some matches and quietly dislodged the two wide floorboards near her mat that she often used to stash to stash things she had not wanted her siblings to tease her about she dropped beneath the floor where there was just enough space to lie flat she crawled out to the side and into the open air 
Her heart beat fast. She didn't want to think about what her mother's face would look like when she discovered that her youngest child had disappeared. Chapter 33, Stepping In The brothers faced the forest. Well, brother, Buki said. He turned to Malik. Malik extended his hand and Buki shook it solemnly. They took one last look at each other and stepped into the trees. Chapter 34, Firewood Drew clenched a handful of matches in her fist. Her brother's shirt hung in her calves, to her calves and her braid had snagged on a nail beneath the house and came loose again. She made her way through the sugarcane fields to the edge of the forest. There she picked up a small dry twig and branches and gathered them up in the hem of, her, of the shirt. She looked for an opening in the trees and closed her eyes for a moment to steady her nerves before she entered. Drew navigated through the dark forest with the tips of her toes and fingers. Even though her blood pumped loud in her ears, she kept going. She needed to get as far as she dared so the small fires she planned to set would cause just enough commotion to surprise the jumpies and the villagers. Her legs trembled as she went on. Chapter 35. Nothing. The brothers didn't need to go far into the forest. They stopped at the first line of trees, far enough in that it would look like they had been taken, but close enough to the road to get out fast. As soon as they found a spot to stop, they noticed something strange about the forest. There was no sound or movement around them. It was as if every single creature had disappeared. The sound of nothing at all filled their ears like dry cotton. The brothers strained to hear even the wind in the leaves. Buki sensed that the jumbies were waiting for them to make their move. He looked at his little brother. Malik puffed his chest out to show he was brave and nodded once. Buki held his fist out and counted. One two, and three on his fingers. On the third finger, they both screamed into the night. The forest awakened. Chapter 36, Pushing Awe. Corinne's heart beat out the moments till the brother's signal would, would arrive. She watched the firemen pull their boats in and set their nets to dry. Her muscles tensed. She strained her ears. With the boats moored, the fishermen moved toward their house. If the boys didn't create their distraction soon, it would be too late. It had to be now, while the men were still outside. Corinne was just about to quit waiting when she heard Buki and Malik scream. The fishermen ran towards the sound. Corinne waited for their footsteps to die off in the distance, and then she dashed in the opposite direction to her father's boat. The tide was going out again, pulling everything back into the sea. Corinne pushed as the tide pulled and got her father's boat into the first small waves. If you're in the sea, Grand Pierre, I could use your help tonight, she whispered. The only answer was the sound of gentle splash from the waves. Corinne pushed harder and the boat pulled free of the sand and began to bob in the waves. Corinne jumped inside and pulled one of the oars out to paddle. But as she got away from the land, 
the wind began to work against her. It pushed her towards a shallow spit that threatened to snag the boat. She rowed as fast and as hard as she could, but the shore was not getting any further farther away. Please, Corinne called out. Suddenly, the wind changed direction and began pushing the boat into the sea. Corinne turned parallel to the shore and sliced through the waves. High on the cliff, the stone from her mama's necklace reflected the last shards of sun and kept her on a direct path. Join me again next time for the continuation of the Jumbies. See you then.